الله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So to continue with Bulugh al-Maram of Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, rahimahullah ta'ala, we were in <coughs> the section concerning al-wudu within Kitab al-Tahara. And we had reached the hadith number 46, I think. Hmm. Hadith number 46. عن المغيرة بن شعبة أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم توضأ فمسح بناصيته وعلى العمامة والخفين أخرجه مسلم وعن جابر بن عبد الله رضي الله عنهما عن المغيرة بن شعبة رضي الله عنه المغيرة بن شعبة المغيرة بن شعبة he was a great companion from the people of Taif he was from Ta'if, the area, the place which is known as Ta'if, Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. And he became Muslim the year of the battle of the Khandaq. You know, the battle of the Khandaq. We're going to do it, inshallah, in the seerah. One of the battles that occurred between the Prophet Muhammad sallam and the Muslims and those who opposed them from the disbelievers. وَهَاجَرَ إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ And he made the hijra to Medina, Shu'bah, Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah. He made the hijra to Medina. And he was from the famous, uh, like the famous du'at. He was from the famous uh, callers to the religion. He was the one who used to give the da'wah to the people. And he was known for that. وَتَوَلَّ الْإِمَارَ فِي أَحْدِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم لِبَعْضِ الْوِلَايَاتِ and he was appointed the head of certain regions during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ and also during the reign of Muawiyah. And on the day of the agreement of Ridwan, Bay'at al-Ridwan, which we'll also mention inshallah in the Seerah lessons, on this particular occasion, he was the one who was protecting the Prophet ﷺ with, a, with a, a sword. Protecting the Prophet ﷺ with a sword when the mushrikeen came for the negotiations. So this is Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah, one of the great companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So remember his name, Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. He mentions that the Prophet ﷺ made wudu فَمَسَحَ عَلَى نَاصِيَتِهِ he says that the Prophet ﷺ made wudu and he wiped on his forelock. The nasiyah is the forelock. The forelock is the, this top area near the top of the forehead. At the top of the forehead, this top area is known as the forelock. So in this narration it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ made wudu and he wiped on this top area here. Meaning the hair which starts at the beginning of the head. At the top of the forehead where the hair just about starts, that area. Mentioned this narration that the Prophet wiped on that area. Um, then it says 
that after the Prophet wiped on this first area, then after that it mentions that he was wearing an amama when they wrap it around. And when it's wrapped around, is anybody wearing one? Nobody's wearing one today. Huh? But when they wrap it around their heads, and it starts here, so it goes around their head, and it's wrapped around, all of it comes around like this and on top. So the Prophet was wearing one of those. But he was wearing it from here. So you can see some hair at the beginning, and then the amama comes on top. So he mentioned this narration that he wiped on the beginning part of the hair, which was sticking out, and then the rest of it, he just wiped over the top of the cloth. He wiped over the top for the rest. That's what's mentioned in this narration. That the Prophet ﷺ, he wiped over the hair that was sticking out, and when the turban started, he went over the turban. مَسَحَ عَلَى النَّاصِيَةِهِ وَعَلَى الْعَمَامَةِ uh, the amama, then everybody understands what that is. It's like the turban, what we call a turban. When you get one of these cloths, normally they're white. And sometimes they use these ones too. And they wrap it around their heads. That's the uh, amama. And often it has, when it's wrapped around, there's a piece that comes out from the back. Like a, like a, like a tail. A section which comes out where you wrapped it around and it comes out from the back. <coughs> and sometimes they might stick that section in at the bottom. But everybody understands what that type of turban looks like, you've seen the people wear it. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ was wearing on that occasion. Uh, why, what does this hadith seem to indicate then? It indicates that when a person wears one of those turbans, and you see sometimes the people that wear them, they get the cloth and they wrap it around properly, and they tie it down really tight and all... Uh, it's restricted and it's tight and it's properly done and it's all wrapped in properly and it's stuck on the head when it's like that do you think it's quite easy just to rip it off and put it back on again or do you think it's difficult to do that it's difficult when it's wrapped around so well and nicely and tightly and it's in place and everything then it's difficult to take it off and do it all again from the beginning that's why in this hadith it indicates as we'll read now what the Shaykh says, it indicates فَإِذَا أُحْكِمَتْ عَلَى الرَّأْسِ بِهَذَا الشَّكَلْ فَإِنَّهَا يَسْعَبُ نَقْضُهَا لِلْوُضُوءِ When you've tightened the turban on properly and in place and precisely and accurately and it's all tightly round and properly in its place and tied up, then it's difficult to get rid of it and open it all up and the knots and everything. It's difficult to do that. فَلِذَلِكَ رَخَّصَ النَّبِي سَلَّمْ بِالْمَسْحِ عَلَيْهَا that's why the Prophet ﷺ allowed for you to wipe over the top of it. When you come to the wiping of the head, you don't have to remove it. You can wipe over the top of it. لَكِنْ يُشْتَرَطُ لِلْمَسْحِ عَلَى الْعَمَامَ أَنْ تَكُونَ ثَابِتَةً أو أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهَا ذُؤَابًا مِنَ الْخَلْفِ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ تَثْبُتْ وَأَمَّ مَا يُطْرَحُ عَلَى الرَّأْسِ مِثْلُ الْغُطْرَ وَالطَّاقِيَةِ فَهَذِهِ لَيْسَتْ بِعَمَائِمْ so the hadith indicates that when a person is wearing that turban, when he's making the wudu, when it comes to the part where he has to wipe the head, the hadith indicates he doesn't have to take that turban off, he can just wipe over the top of it. Because in this narration of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah, the Prophet was wearing one, so when he began the wiping, he began with the top of the forehead where the hair starts that was sticking out, and then the rest of it, he just went over the turban. So this indicates that a person who's wearing that turban, you can just go over the top of it, you don't have to take it off. But with a condition. You can't just do that all the time. 
There's a condition as to when you can do that. And the condition is that the turban, when you're wearing it on top, it has to be properly tightly done. When they wrap it around all over properly and stick it all in, and it's all tight and the knots are in everywhere properly, when it's properly all tight and everything done, it's all done up properly and the knots are in there and it's precise and it's accurate and it's all done in that particular way and it's stuck to the head. It's nicely, firmly, tightly stuck to the head in that way. Then you don't have to remove it and make the, the wiping. Then you can just wipe over the top of it. When you have the turban properly tied down in place, when it's properly tied down in place and it doesn't move off, you go like this and it doesn't fall off. You move this way, it doesn't fall off. It's tight in place. Then you can wipe over the top of it. But, what about this? This, I'm wearing it on top of my head now too. So if I come to make wudu now, and it comes to the wiping of the head, can I just get some water and go like this, and then over the top of this? Why not? What does the hadith say? The hadith said you can do it. Exactly. This one isn't tied up. This one you can just flick it off, and it's gone, take your hat off, and you can do the wiping. There's no problem. So with this one, there's no issue. With this one, it's not tied down. It's not restricted. It's not compact. It's not tight. It's not in place. So for these ones, you can't wipe over the top of it. These ones, you have to take them off. Take them off and make the wiping on the head. Even the hat. If you're wearing a hat, can you wipe on the top of the hat or take it off? You have to take it off. The hat, you have to take it off. These loose ones, you have to take it off. The only time you can go over the top is when you have one of these or one of the white ones, but it's all wrapped around properly. Wrapped around in place and it's tight. Then you can go over the top, you don't have to unwrap it. But when it's just sitting there loose like this, or you have a hat on, then these things you can take them off, it takes one second, less than that. So you're not allowed to wipe over the top of these things. But when they are wrapped around like a proper turban and tight and in there and the knots are there and everything, then you can wipe over the top of them. So everybody understand the difference? Of when you can wipe over the top of these and when you cannot. So when can you wipe over the top of it? When can you wipe over the top of it? When it's properly wrapped around tightly. And when it's loose like this, then you have to take it off and wipe on the head properly. Take the hat off, take this off and wipe on the head properly. فدل هذا الحديث على أنه إذا كان على رأسه عمامة والعمامة المعروفة عند العرب التي تدار أكوارها على رأسه وتحكم ففي هذا تفصيل إن كانت العمامة ساترة لكل الرأس فإنه يكفي المسح عليها So when a person puts a turban on if that turban is covering the whole of his head if the turban is covering the whole of his head then you can just wipe over the top of the turban that's sufficient أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَ يَظْهَرُ بَعْضَ الرَّأْسِ فَإِنَّهُ يَمْسَحُ عَلَى مَا يَظْهَرَ مِنَ الرَّأْسِ وَيَكَمِّلْ عَلَى الْعَمَامَةِ But if you wear the turban, but it's not covering all of the head. If you wear the turban and it's not covering all of the head. For example, it starts up here. You put your turban on from there and wrap it around that side. So the beginning part of your hair here is sticking out. The front part of your hair is sticking out. And then the turban is on the back, all over the top. But the front part of your hair is sticking out. Then when you make the wiping, the mask, what do you have to do? You have to wipe the hair which is sticking out and then carry on and finish on the turban. If you've got hair sticking out, you can't just get your hands and go straight to the turban and wipe. 
You have to do the hair which is sticking out and then go over the turban. But if the turban is covering everything anyway, all the forehead and everything, then you can just go over the turban. Everyone understand that difference? If it's covering the full head, then you can go over the turban and that's enough. But if part of the front of the head is sticking out, then you must wipe that with water and then complete it upon the turban. The Sheikh says that Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned in his book Zad al-Ma'ad, Provisions of the Hereafter, Wiping the head has three different circumstances, three different states, three different situations when you're wiping the head. The first situation is an yakuna ras the first situation is the first person you have three people for example now the first person he comes along to make wudu and he's not wearing anything on his head this brother here now, he comes, he's not wearing anything on his head. Or this one here, he comes, or this one, he comes to make wudu, he's not wearing anything on his head. So when he's making it, when he comes to wiping on the head, then he has to, normal, just wipe over his hair, back of his neck, and come back to the front again, as we already mentioned before. We already said it, wipe from the front of the head to the back, and bring it back to the front again. That's the normal description of how to make the, Wiping. The second situation is, الحالة الثانية أن يكون على رأس عمامة مغطية لجميعه، ففي هذه الحالة يمسح على جميع العمامة ويكفي مسحها عن مسح الرأس. The second situation is, a person comes along to make wudu and he's got a turban on which covers the whole of his head, all of his forehead and the back and everything is covered up by his turban. Now, how does he wipe? A turban which is wrapped around properly all over his head. Then he wipes just on the turban. Just on the turban. The third situation is what then? The third situation is أن يكون على رأس عمامة يظهر منها بعض الرأس. يعني لا تكون مغطية لكل الرأس. ففي هذه الحالة يمسح على ما ظهر من الرأس ويكمل على العمامة. A third situation is a person comes, he's also wearing a, a turban wrapped around properly, but... There is some hair sticking out. This one when he wipes, how does he do it then? He has to wipe the hair which is sticking out and then finish it off on top of the turban. So do you see those three situations? One is a person who's not wearing anything. He comes, makes the normal wiping, the normal mash, wipes on his head from the front to the back to the front, normal. Then you have a person who comes wearing a turban wrapped around properly tight all over his head. No hair sticking out. So then he just wipes on top of the turban. A third person comes wearing a turban wrapped around properly, but there's some hair sticking out. He has to wipe on the hair and then finish on the turban. But remember, with the condition that it's wrapped around properly and tight, not just something loose or just something loosely just on top of the head, something just being flicked on or one, one wrap or something, something properly tightened on the head, something which is in place like a turban properly. Oh, the ladies, the ladies will come to it. 
For the women's one, we'll come to it. The women's one, really, it's not, it's not a part of it. Not really. The women's one isn't a part of it. The women's one, the women, what they wear to cover themselves, to cover their heads and their, their hair, etc., that you can't wipe over the top of it. Why? Because it's so simple to remove. The point of this is the difficulty. When somebody has wrapped around a turban and the folds have gone in and the, the ties and the knots and everything, it's difficult to remove it and do it all over again. So you can just wipe over the top. But the ones that the women wear, they loose like this. They just loose. You can just take them off, wipe over their head and put them back on again. So there's no harm in that. So for the women, it's not counted. The women cannot wipe over the top of their, their, their jilbabs and the niqabs and the khimar and everything. You can't wipe over the top of these things. The women just take them off and do it. Some women they say, but what if you're making wudu in a public place? But even then, they said to Shaykh Falah the same thing. But he said, what do you mean public place? Are you going to be making wudu in what kind of public place? He said, even here in the kafir countries, even in the kafir countries, the toilets, are they mixed or are they female and male? Female and male always. So what do you mean public place? If you're in the female toilet, you can do it. So there isn't a public place. A woman's not going to be making wudu in the street. So it's a, it, the woman should remove that covering and wipe over the head. It's not allowed for a woman to wipe over the top. فَدَلَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى وُجُوبِ مَسْحِ الرَّأْسِ إِذَا كَانَ لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ عِمَامًا وَهَذَا صَبَقَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ السَّابِقَةِ Yeah, so this hadith indicates that you have to wipe over the head and it tells you about how to do that depending on whether you're wearing a turban or not and how you're wearing that turban, if hair is sticking out or not. And that is in the Qur'an, وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ And wipe over your heads. Then, in the same hadith of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'ba, now we've understood the issue of wiping and with the turban, etc. The khuffain, those socks that you wear, the leather socks or even normal socks. Something which is reasonable thickness and it covers all the way up until above the ankle. The khuff typically made out of leather. These types of things now, what about wiping over them? In this hadith it says that the Prophet ﷺ wiped over the khuf as well. And that is going to come in more detail in the following chapters. So the Shaykh says we'll talk about the khuf and wiping on it in the following chapter where it comes in more detail. For now though the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma fi sifati hajjin nabi sallam qal Look at this now. The hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah, which is a very long hadith. In that hadith, Jabir ibn Abdullah, he says, when he described how the Prophet ﷺ made hajj. Made hajj, we're talking about hajj now. In that hadith, he says that the Prophet ﷺ said, Ibda'u bima bada Allahu bih. Start with the same thing that Allah started with. Start in the same way that Allah started. Start with that which Allah started with. The hadith akhrajahu nasa'i hakadha bilafdil amar wa huwa inda muslim bilafdil khabar. When nasa'i narrated it, he narrated it with a command form and when muslim narrated it, he narrated it as an informative mode. But this hadith, the Prophet says, start with that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started with. So this is the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah. It's a very long hadith. Narrated by Jabir ibn Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Haram al-Ansari and him and his father were both companions. Jabir ibn Abdullah. They were both companions. And his father died when? 
Jabir ibn Abdullah ibn Amr, they were both companions. When did Abdullah ibn Amr die? He died in the battle of Uhud. He died in the battle of Uhud. And so Jabir radiallahu anhu, Jabir ibn Abdullah, one of the great companions, he narrated the hadith concerning the hajj of the Prophet You'll see the link between hajj and wudu. We're talking about wudu now. But here he narrated the hadith of hajj. From the moment when the Prophet ﷺ left Medina up until he returned. And it's a very long hadith. Describes all of the hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. And within that hadith, he mentions this statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Begin with that which the Prophet which Allah began with. And this phrase, it is mentioned in the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah. At the time when he finished the tawaf. When you finish tawaf, then you pray the two raka'at behind the maqam Ibrahim. Then you drink some zamzam water. Then you go to Safa and Marwa. You go to Safa and Marwa. So when the Prophet arrived at Safa and Marwa to do the sa'i, he said this, he said, Ibda'u bima bada Allahu bih. Start with the same thing that Allah started with. And what did Allah start with in the Qur'an? When the Prophet ﷺ went to Safa and Marwa, he said to the companions, to the people, begin with that which Allah began with. What did Allah begin with in the Qur'an? No, about Safa and Marwa. Inna Safa wal Marwa min sha'airillah. Or is it Inna Marwa wa Safa? Inna Safa wal Marwa min sha'airillah. That the Safa and the Marwa are from the symbolic signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Safa was the one that Allah started with. Therefore, when we do the Sa'i, we start at Safa. That's what the Prophet meant. Begin with that which Allah began with in the Quran. Allah began with Safa, so we begin at Safa. Allah began by mentioning Safa, so we begin with that in our Sa'i. ثُمَّ سَعِدَ عَلَيْهِ سُرَاتُ وَسَلَامُ عَلَى صَفَاءَ وَاسْتَقْبَلَ الْكَعْبَةَ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ وَدَعَاهُ ثُمَّ نَزَلَ إلَى الْمَرْوَةِ فَدَلَّ هَذَا عَلَى أَنَّ سَعِيَ يُبْدَأُ بِهِ أو يُبْدَأُ مِنَ الصَّفَاءِ وَيَنْتَهِ يَنْتَهِ بِالْمَرْوَةِ. So this indicates that the sa'i you begin it at Safa and you go to Marwa and then you come back to Safa that way. So when you start at Safa and you go to Marwa that's one. Then from Marwa back to Safa two. Then back to Marwa three. Four, five, six, seven. So you finish at Marwa. People, they make a mistake. They think that you start at Safa and you go to Marwa and you come back to Safa. They say that's one. Wrong. So they end up doing 14. But really from Safa to Marwa, that's one. But anyway now, this hadith, it indicates beginning with that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with. Istidlalun this hadith is used as an evidence that the wudu must be done in order. This hadith is used as an evidence that wudu must be done in order. The hadith is about hajj. But the Prophet ﷺ said to them, begin the sa'i between Safa and Marwa in the same way that Allah began with it in the Quran. And Allah began with Safa first. So you begin with that which Allah began with. The same way you begin and do your wudu in the way that Allah began and mentioned it in the Qur'an. 
So the point is the same point. The principle is the same principle. Begin with that which Allah began with in the Quran. So what did Allah begin with in the Quran? Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu idha qumtum ila salati faghsilu wujuhakum. Wujuhakum. Your faces. Wa aydiyakum. And your arms and your hands. Wamsahu biru'usikum. Wa arjulakum ila al-ka'bain. Remember we mentioned this thing about the fathas and the kasra. So the fathas are the things that go together. So what are the three fatha things? فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَاكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَاكُمْ وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ The first one is the faces, then it's the hands, and then it's the arm, uh, the uh, faces and the arms and the hands and then the feet. That's the order of the items that you wash. And the item that you wipe is the head. So look at the order. Wash your faces. وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ And your arms and your hands up to your elbows. Then, وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ Wipe your heads. Then, وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ Wash your feet. That order is in the Qur'an. Your faces, your arms and your hands. Wipe the head, wash the feet. That's the order Allah mentioned it in the Qur'an. And so according to this narration, begin with that which Allah begins with. We begin in the same way that Allah began with and mentioned it in the Qur'an, in that order. So that indicates to you the order of the wudu. فَاللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ تَعَالَى فِي آيَةِ الْوُدُوُ بَدَأَ بِغَسْلِ الْوَجْهِ Allah began with the washing of the face, then the hands, then the wiping of the head, and then the washing of the feet. And the Prophet said, اِبْدَأُوا بِمَا بَدَأَ اللَّهُ بِهِ Begin with that which Allah begins with. So therefore, when you put these evidences together, it indicates the order of the wudu. That the wudu, wudu must be done upon this order. So this is a general type of principle. That which Allah begins with first, mentions it first, it must mean the importance of it. And it must mean that this is what you begin with too then. If Allah begins with that affair, then you begin with that affair. Because Allah does not begin with something except because that thing is the most important. Allah begins with the most important things first and then moves on. So therefore you begin with those so then the Shaykh says, فَلَوْ أَنَّ إِنسَانًا تَوَضَّأَ وَبَدَأَ بِالرِّجْلَيْنِ So if a person makes wudu and begins with his feet first, then he wipes his head, ثُمَّ مَسَحَ رَأْسَهُ ثُمَّ غَسَلَ يَدَيْهِ Then after wiping his head, he washes his arms, ثُمَّ وَجَهَهُ Then he washes his face at the end. He's washed all the body parts that need to be washed. But is his wudu correct or not? Incorrect. Because the whole order of his wudu is wrong. The order in which he has done his wudu is wrong. So the wudu is incorrect. لَمْ يَسِحْ وُدُوُهُ His wudu is not correct. لِأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَأْتِ بِالتَّرْتِيبَ الَّذِي رَتَّبَهُ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَأَمَرَ بِهِ رَسُولُهُ وسلم. Because he hasn't done the order which Allah mentioned in the Qur'an and the Prophet ﷺ commanded with. You have to do it in that order. The face first, then the arms and hands, then the wiping of the head, then the feet. Has to be in that order. If you mix it up, do the feet first, then the wipe, then the face, then the arms, mixed up order, your wudu is wrong. But remember, we said, when you're doing the hands, do you have to start with the right one first, or can you do the left one first? You should start with the right one first, but in that one, which one you start with in the same body part, when it's the same body part, which one you begin with doesn't make your wudu false. 
So if you begin with the left hand first and then the right hand, that doesn't make your wudu false. Because that's the same body part. In the same body part, it doesn't make a difference. Even though it's better and sunnah and uh, more accurate to start with the right sides first. But when it comes to different body parts, you can't mix them up. The body parts have to be kept in order. But within the same body part, if you ended up starting with the left one first, for example, you wash the left hand first, or you wash the left foot first, then your wudu is still okay. But if you mix the order of the body parts as a whole, so you do the feet before the head, or you do the, the arms before the face, then it's wrong. Everybody understand, huh? Hmm. So, al-mas'ala al-ula, wujub al-tartib fil wudu, ala hasabi ma dhakar Allahu fi ayat al-wudu. So, it is obligatory to have that order in your wudu. You must do the face, then the hands and the arms, then the wiping of the head, and then the washing of the feet. Also, fihi dalil ala anna al-ibra bi'umum al-lafz la bi-khusus al-sabab. Fal-hadith warada fi sa'i, bayna safa wal-marwa. Also, there is a principle that the point of something, the point of an evidence, when you have an evidence, the point of that evidence is the generality of the wording, not the specific cause. Here, when the Prophet said, begin with that which Allah has begun with, the specific thing that was being spoken about was what? When the Prophet said, begin with that which Allah has begun with in the Qur'an, the specific thing being spoken about in the hadith of Hajj was Safa Marwa. But we've used that evidence onto wudu. And that's allowed. Because the point of an evidence isn't the specific situation, it's the principle. The principle from this evidence is, you begin with what Allah begins with. So use it for wudu too. Allah began with the face and then the arms and the head and the feet. So use that principle in that too. It's not about the specific situation, it's about the general wording, the general principle. So here you can use that general principle in that way. So that is about the order. You must do the wudu, wudu in that order for it to be correct. Then you have the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma qal, kana nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha tawadda'a adar al-ma'a ala mirfaqih. Akhrajahu dara qutni bi isnadin da'if. In this hadith, Jabir ibn Abdullah, once again, he narrates that the Prophet used to adar al-ma'a that he used to spin around or wash around the water on his elbows. And he used to go like this on his elbows with the water. This narration though, it's mentioned that it's weak. But we'll come to the explanation here what the Shaykh says. The Shaykh says then, kana, i.e. the Prophet used to Take some water and then, and then wash it around on the elbows. Wash the water around on the elbows. Um, this narration is narrated by Dara Qutni. Al-Imam Dara Qutni, one of the famous scholars of hadith. And he has a book called Sunan Dara Qutni as well. A famous book known by Sunan Dara Qutni. And he has a book about Ilal the issues with regards to hadith and the chains of narration. But this particular chain of narration, a chain of narration, what is a chain of narration? A chain of narration is the isnad. A hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ taught the companion something, 
they heard that from the Prophet ﷺ, then they would go and teach other people. So they would hear it from the companions. Then those people would go and teach other people, so they would hear it from them. So now you have a chain of narration. It's like a chain. One person heard it from another person who heard it from another person who heard it from the companion who heard it from the Prophet ﷺ. You have this chain. Sometimes this chain of people, there might be one person in that chain who was known to have a bad memory, for example. Or there might be one person in this chain who was known to be a liar, for example. So then in that case, the chain becomes strong or weak. Weaker, because there are some people in there who are not good in their memory. That's what's meant here, that this chain is weak. The reason being because in this particular isnad, in this particular chain, there's a person called Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Aqil. And he is someone who is matruq al-hadith. I.e. he was someone who, his narrations were not uh, accepted. But, yu'ayyiduhu hadith Abi Huraira. There is a hadith in Sahih Muslim that Abu Huraira narrated which has the same meaning as this hadith. In the narration in Sahih Muslim, it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ washed his arms up until he began into his upper arm. He washed his arms up until he went into his upper arm. So he was washing his arms up until he went into his upper arm up to here. So that means therefore he obviously covered the elbow. Which is what this narration is saying, that the Prophet ﷺ covered the elbow. In that narr- but this narration is weak. However, the narration in Sahih Muslim of Abu Huraira says the same thing. The Prophet ﷺ was washing his arms up until he almost he was into his upper arm. I.e. he was covering all of the elbows. And when you cover the elbows, obviously a little bit is going to go into the upper arm as well. So that's what the narration in Sahih Muslim says. So that means that narration backs up this narration. And the point of it is, what's the point of all of this? The point of all of this, what we already mentioned, but this is the proof right now. That the elbows are a part of the arms. When you wash the hands on the arms, you must include the elbows in that as well. If a person washes his arms up to the elbow but doesn't include the elbow, then that's incorrect. These narrations now indicate you must include the elbow in the washing of the arm also. It's a part of the washing of the arm. So if a person doesn't wash his elbows, he misses them out, his wudu is incomplete. It's not correct. You must include them within it. That's what this hadith indicates. Then we have, and the evidence for that, remember the hadith of Abu Huraira, that the Prophet ﷺ was washing his arms up until he entered into his upper arm. That's a hadith in Sahih Muslim. Hatta shara'a fil adut. Meaning, if he got up into his upper arm, he must have gone past the elbow. He must have covered the elbow. So the elbow is a part of the wudu. Then you have the hadith of Abu Huraira. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا وضوء لمن لم يذكر اسم الله عليه. أخرجه أحمد وأبو داود وابن ماجه بإسناد ضعيف. This hadith now, the hadith of Abu Huraira, that the Prophet ﷺ said, there is no wudu for the person who does not say Bismillah at the beginning. There is no wudu, the wudu is wrong. 
for somebody who doesn't say Bismillah at the beginning. That's what the hadith says. But we look at it now in detail. In fact, before we do that, we'll just mention what Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar says as well. Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar says, a tirmidhi narrated this hadith from Sa'id ibn Zayd. Another narration of the same hadith. And also, Abu Sa'id has a hadith similar to this. Al-Imam Ahmad said, Al-Imam Ahmad said about this issue, because these hadith, they have some speech about them. Are they authentic or not? That you can't have wudu without bismillah at the beginning. Al-Imam Ahmad said, there is nothing authentic in this particular issue. Al-Imam Ahmad, he said, there is nothing authentic about this issue of having to say bismillah before the wudu. But let's go into detail now with what the Shaykh mentions about this hadith. Right, so here now, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar has mentioned that the scholars like Al-Imam Ahmad have said that there is no authentic narration that says you have to say Bismillah at the beginning. That the Prophet used to say it. However, Al-Imam al-Shawkani in his book Nail al-Awtar, another book which explains these issues, he mentioned in there that there are several narrations. There are lots of different hadith which speak about this same issue of saying Bismillah at the beginning. And when you join all of those hadith together, then it becomes suitable to take evidence from. It becomes suitable to take evidence from, meaning that you can say it is proven that the Prophet ﷺ did say Bismillah. And that's what they said. Ibn Abi Shayba and others, they said, ثَبَتَ لَنَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَهُ يَعْنِي أَنَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ ثَبَتَ مِنْ مَجْمُوعِ الطُّرُقِ so from all of these different hadith, when you put them together, then it becomes established and correct that the Prophet ﷺ did say Bismillah at the beginning of the wudu. The issue now, the scholars are agreed. Consensus of the scholars. It is agreed upon by the scholars that saying Bismillah at the beginning of wudu, it is legislated. It is legislated to say Bismillah at the beginning of wudu. That's agreement of the scholars. It's legislated to say Bismillah at the beginning. But what they differed about, the difference of opinion is, is it obligatory to say it at the beginning, or is it sunnah? Is it obligatory to say Bismillah at the beginning of wudu, or is it sunnah? So the majority of the scholars, the majority of the scholars say what? Obligatory or sunnah? Sunnah. So we look at it here now. The majority of the scholars, al-Jumhur, they say it's sunnah. The Jumhur of the scholars, fal-Jumhur ala annaha sunnah. Falaw tarakaha fawudu'uhu sahih. Meaning, what does it mean that you say it's sunnah? Meaning, if somebody leaves it and doesn't say bismillah at the beginning of the wudu, is the wudu okay or not? It's okay. The majority of the scholars, if you don't say the wudu, uh, Bismillah at the beginning, you forget to say it or whatever, then even if you make a wudu afterwards, your wudu is still okay. And this is mentioned in their books, Al-Mughni, Al-Muhadhab, the different books of the scholars on that issue. But then in that case, how do they explain this hadith? The hadith says, La wudu'a liman lam yadhkur ismallahi There is no wudu for the person who doesn't say Bismillah. They said it's sunnah on the majority of the scholars. So how do they explain this hadith? What does it mean? There is no wudu for the one who doesn't say bismillah if they are saying it's actually just sunnah. And there is wudu for the one who doesn't say it. So what does the hadith mean? How do they explain it? 
the meaning of the hadith they say is la wudu'a ay nafyul kamal yani la wudu'a kamilun they say that the meaning of the hadith that there is no wudu for the one who doesn't say the bismillah meaning there is no perfected and complete wudu remember we spoke about al isbagh making the wudu perfect and complete and accurate this hadith means la wudu there is no wudu for the one who doesn't say bismillah meaning your wudu is not perfect and complete yes your wudu is okay you can go and pray now it's okay but it's not the best type of wudu the best wudu and the perfect wudu is if you say bismillah and that's what the hadith means la wudu there is no wudu meaning there is no perfect wudu no complete perfect proper wudu without the bismillah even though if you do it without bismillah your wudu is okay but the best and the proper one is if you say bismillah that's what they mean wadhahaba al-imam ahmad and it's mentioned about how some scholars they said it's obligatory some scholars they mentioned it's obligatory to have to do that um, but like we said in this narration or what the scholars have mentioned is that the saying of bismillah at the beginning is a sunnah so even if you forget it your wudu is okay but you should say it it's an act of sunnah and it perfects your wudu to say the bismillah at the beginning وَأَخِيرًا فَإِنَّهُ يَجْدُرُ التَّنْبِيهِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَرِدْ فِي أَذْكَارِ الْوُضُوسِ وَحَدِيثَيْنِ The Shaykh says we should also mention here that it is befitting and suitable to mention that there are only two hadith which have been mentioned. This answers your question now. There are only two hadith which have been mentioned about the supplications of wudu. Before the wudu. There are only two hadith which mentions the supplications of the wudu. One of them tells you about the supplication you make before the wudu, and one of them tells you about the supplication you make after the wudu. So what's the supplication you make after the wudu? The hadith is mentioned, أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَلَّهُمَّ جَعَلْنِي مِنَ التَّوَّابِينَ وَجَعَلْنِي مِنَ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ This narration is mentioned about after the wudu. The Shaykh says, as that, wudu, that narration is mentioned, to say that after the completion of wudu is mentioned. And the beginning of wudu, what's the dua? Bismillah. But some people, the Shaykh says, every time they wash one of their body parts, they say other duas. Like they say, Bismillah. Or they say, Allahumma bayyid wajhi yawma tabiyadu wujuh. They say, for example, when they're washing their face, they make the dua, the ayah from the Quran, Oh Allah, whiten my face and uh, lighten my face on the day when their faces are lightened up. And when they wash their hands, they say, Allahumma a'atini kitabi bi yameeni. When they wash their hands, they say, oh Allah, give me my book on the day of judgment in my right hand. So they make these extra du'as in the middle of their wudu, and that is bid'ah. There is no narration about making du'as in the middle of your wudu, and making these extra supplications in the middle of your wudu. The supplication at the beginning, Bismillah. At the end, this one that we read, Ashhadu la ilaha illallah wa alhamdu rasulullah. This one at the beginning, at the end that you recite, and that one you can find in the fortress of the Muslim and other books. But that one you recite at the end, Bismillah. You recite at the beginning, in the middle. These other du'as that the people they recite are bid'ah. They are not authentic from the Sunnah.
That is actually the end of that chapter, but the Sheikh mentions at the end of it, like an advice. He says, now this chapter we've just done, we talked about wiping the front of the hair and then going over the turban. And we spoke about including the elbows. And we spoke about the order of the wudu. And we spoke about the bismillah at the beginning. All of these issues with the evidences and with the hadith. The shaykh says that's what this religion is built upon. Everything you do, all of your worship is with these evidences. So now we've seen the evidence you can wipe on the turban. We've seen the evidence you have to do the wudu in order. We've seen the evidence you have to say the bismillah. You should say it at the beginning. All of the worship that you do, it is tawqifi. The principle is, you can only worship Allah upon evidence. You can only worship Allah when you know how to worship Allah on the evidence, when you've been commanded. You can't make up your own way of worshipping Allah. You can't make your own way of making wudu. Everything must be upon the evidences. And that's what the shaykh concludes on by saying in this chapter, look at these different evidences we mentioned. All of those you see this religion of Islam, everything we do has evidence to it. Why we make wudu like this and why we do this and why we the head and the order. All of these things have evidence to them. Everything is based upon the Quran and the sunnah of the Prophet And that's what the shaykh concludes on by saying that it's not about your intellects and your minds that you can worship Allah how you want. You worship Allah how you've been commanded to worship Allah. And that's one of the meanings of Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh One of the meanings of I testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah is that you do not worship Allah except how the Prophet ﷺ commanded you to worship Allah. Except how it was legislated to worship Allah and that is through the evidences. So that is the conclusion of that section. Uh, the next section, we do it as well, huh? it's not that long. We do the next section too. It's only maybe five minutes. It's about the water in the mouth and the nose. And then after that, there's one more section left we can complete next week. In this section, وعن طلحة ابن مصرف عن أبيه عن جده قال رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يفصل بين المضمضة والاستنشاق. وعن علي أخرج أبو داود بإسناد ضعيف. وعن علي رضي الله عنه في صفة البضو ثم تمضمض صلى الله عليه وسلم واستنثر ثلاثا. يمضمض ويستنثر من الكف الذي يأخذ منه الماء أخرج أبو داود والنسائي وعن عبد الله بن زيد رضي الله عنه في صفة الوضوء ثم أدخل سلم يده فمضمض واستنشق من كف واحدة يفعل ذلك ثلاثا متفق عليه These hadith now are going to explain to you how to wash the mouth and the nose Again like we said with evidence Now we have the evidences The first hadith of Talha ibn Musarrif who narrated from his father, who narrated from his grandfather. He says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ making wudu. And he says that the Prophet ﷺ split up between his mouth and his nose. So he got some water, did the mouth, then he got some water and did the nose in two separate handfuls. That's what this hadith says. That the Prophet ﷺ split up between the mouth and the nose. Got some water for the mouth and then got some water for the nose separate. That's what the hadith says. However, this particular hadith is weak. This hadith is weak. It is not authentic. It is not correct. This hadith is not correct. It is weak. This hadith is not authentic. The Prophet ﷺ did not do it like that. As for what is authentic, 
That is mentioned in the next two hadith. So this hadith says that the Prophet did one handful for his mouth and then a separate handful for his nose. That is weak. It's not right. That is not correct. Now we're going to look at what is correct and what is right. That is the next narration. The next narration where Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu, he says that the Prophet وسلم, he put the water in his mouth and also into his nose and he did all of that with one handful. The same handful. Mouth and nose in one go. Both of them in one go. That's authentic. That the Prophet ﷺ did the mouth and the nose together in one go. And the next narration of Abdullah ibn Zayd says that the Prophet ﷺ, he did the mouth and the nose with one handful three times. So he did one handful, mouth and nose. Another handful, mouth and nose. Another handful, mouth and nose. But the point being in these two narrations, in these two hadith, it says that the Prophet used to wash his mouth and nose with one handful. But how can you do that then? There's three possible ways. There's three possible ways. Asifatul ula. Asifatul ula. Ja'a annahu yajma'u bayna al-madmadati wal-istinshaq bi kaffin wahid. Ya'ani annahu ya'khudhu kaffan min al-ma'a. فَيَتَمَضْمَضُ مِنْهُ ثُمَّ يَسْتَنْشِقُ وَيَسْتَنْفِرُ ثُمَّ يَتَمَضْمَضُ ثُمَّ بَيْنَ الْمَضْمَضِ وَيَسْتَنْشِقُ وَيَسْتَنْفِرُ ثُمَّ يَتَمَضْمَضُ ثُمَّ يَسْتَنْشِقُ وَيَسْتَنْفِرُ يَعْنِي يُقَسِّمُ هَذَا الْكَفْءَ الْوَاحِدَةِ بَيْنَ الْمَضْمَضَةِ وَالْإِسْتِنْشَاقِ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ مِنْهُمَا ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتٍ وَهَذَا لَا شَكَّ أَنَّهُ إِذَا تَيَسَّرَ فَهُوَ أَحْسَنُ لِأَنَّهُ أَقْصَدُ فِي صَرْفِ الْمَاءِ the first way to do it is fill the hand with water. Fill the right hand with water and then do the mouth and the nose. Wash the mouth and the nose out but don't use all the water. Only use a little bit. Fill your hand up once from the top and take a bit of water into the mouth and the nose and then wash them out. But there's still water left. Then use the water which is left and do it again. But don't use all of it. Still leave a little bit. And then do it out again. And the little bit that is left, use that for the third one. So you've used one handful of water to do three washings. You fill it up once, put a little bit in the mouth, a little bit in the nose, and wash them out. There's still water left in your hand yet. You're not filling it up again. Use the rest of it and put more into the mouth and nose, do it again. There's still a bit left. Use that last bit for the third time, finish it off. So you've done it three times now, the mouth and the nose, with one handful of water. And that is the best way if you can do it. Because that saves the water. Remember we said before, the Prophet only used to use a small amount of water. So if you can fill your hand up once, and use that in three parts. Use one third of it the first time, another third of it the second time, and the last bit for the third time, that's the best way. Asifa athaniya, an yajma' bayna al-madmada wal-istinshaq bi-thalathi gharafat. The second way to do it is that a person, he fills his hand and uses all of it for the mouth and the nose. Then he fills his hand again and does the mouth and the nose together. Then he fills his hand again and does the mouth and the nose. So he fills his hand separately for each one. But he does the mouth and the nose together for each handful. That is okay too. That's mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd. 
So that is okay too. A person could do it that way if he wanted to do. Here the Sheikh says, بمعنى أنك تأخذ كفا فتمضمض فتتمضمض منه ثم تستنشق وتستنثر ثم تأخذ كفا ثانيا ثم تأخذ كفا ثالثا. So you take one mount, one handful of water in your right hand, and you do the mouth and the nose. It's finished. Get another hand, mouth and nose finished. Another one, mouth and nose finished. The third way of doing it, there's a third way too. أن يجمع بين المضمضة والاستنشاق بغرفتين يأخذ كفا فيتمضمض منه ويستنشق ويستنثر ثم يتمضمض منه ويستنشق ويستنثر ثم يأخذ كفا فيكمل فيتمضمض منه ويستنشق ويستنثر ثلاثا ثلاثا بغرفتين بغرفتين لكن يقرن بين المضمضة والاستنشاق The third way of doing it is The first way was Get one handful of water and use it so well that you can get three washings out of it. The third way, the second way of doing it was, if you can't do that, get one handful each time. In the middle of them is, get a handful of water, put it in your mouth and nose, but only half of it, half of it, and wash them out. Then the second half, put it in, wash them out. So now you've done it how many times so far? Twice, and your water's run out. Then you can get your second amount of water for the third one. So you've used how many handfuls of water? Two. And you washed three times. Because the first handful of water, you use half of it, wash out. Then use the other half and wash out. Then it's finished now, use half and half. Then get some more for the third one and wash it out. That's the third way of doing it. So they are the three ways of being able to do the madmada and the istinshaq, the mouth and the nose. Either in one handful, all of it, three times, or in separate ones for each one, or one handful to do twice, and then to do the third one a separate handful. Everybody understand those three different ways, huh? That's the three different ways to do... Now? No, remember, there's this hadith. In the hadith of Talha ibn Musarif an Abihi an Jaddihi, he said, I saw the Prophet spreading, doing one for the mouth and one for the nose. But the hadith is weak. The hadith is weak. It's not authentic. So there isn't authentic evidence that you split. The hadith is there, but it's weak. So you can't act upon this particular narration. The other hadith, they are authentic. And they say, do it together. So that is the way to do it properly. And that is the end of that section.